0: Welcome to the Red Light Report, your number one source for all things red light therapy, where you will learn how to optimize your health, wellness, and longevity with the power of photobiomodulation. I'm your host, Dr. Mike Belkowski. Hey, everybody. Welcome back. We're on the Red Light Report. It's December. Hope you guys are doing well. We're getting close to the holiday season, getting close to ticking down the Calendar and flipping the page to 2023. So let's enjoy these last several weeks we have of 2022. Just a weekly report on the Montana weather here. The snow continues to fall, and we're having more snow than really the past, I would say, the last decade's worth of winters, or at least up to this point, though we've had snow. I think I've mentioned this on prior podcasts, but sometimes we can get to Christmas Day without having any snow stick on the ground. Of course, we'll have some snow that falls, but it eventually melts or or goes away. But this year, starting early November, we got close to a foot of snow within a couple of days, and it's been with us ever since. And, And we've had some nice sunny warm days that's helped melt some of that, but then we've had plenty of other days with additional snow to keep the landscape nice and white. So without a doubt, we're gonna have a white Christmas up here in Montana. But regardless, wherever you guys are in the US or in the world, hope you're staying safe. Hope you're healthy and well. Speaking of well, hopefully you can tell by my voice, I am back to normal. I am feeling much better than I was last time I was recording. So all is well here. Still doing my red light therapy on a consistent basis. I forget if I told you guys last episode or or prior that I've been doing some yoga red light therapy. There's a 30-minute video on YouTube that I like to use. And that's one of the first things I do in the morning now. Around the last month or so, I've been really getting into it. It's something I did back in physical therapy school, especially when I was traveling for my internships. Doing yoga just felt good, and and it was something I could do in the comfort of my apartment or whatnot, so... I'm back at it with yoga, feels good, the body, I mean, being able to stretch that fascia on a consistent basis just feels good. Not only from a flexibility standpoint, but I do feel that by keeping the the fascia pliable, you're able to keep things flowing in the body more naturally and, and, and more normally. So I think that helps with the flow of, you know, not only nutrition into the body, but toxins and garbage out of the body. So that's kind of how I see yoga is not only from the flexibility standpoint, but just the flow standpoint within the body itself. I used to have a barrel sauna, which I've mentioned on the podcast, I believe, but got rid of that for various reasons. And I now have a therisage setup. It's just a, basically the size of your body as you sit down and your, your head's popping out of, of the tent. But it's very quick, very efficient. And I am pouring sweat within 35, 40 minutes. So um, I've been doing that the past week now. So, so coupling yoga with the infrared sauna, my body has been absolutely loving that. And I think that that alone is just a good tactic for keeping the body healthy, pliable, and staving off any type of sicknesses, especially this time of the year, changing of the seasons, or where it's cold. You know, it's very easy to get that sickness, and I can attest to that. <laughs> last week or the last couple of weeks, so. That's the update on my health and and just some, some of the new things I've been adding to my health and wellness regimen. I'm sure there's a lot of yoga advocates in the audience, so shout out to you guys, and I'm sure those of you that have been doing it for years can just espouse or, or endorse the benefits of yoga and just how good it feels. So I'm hoping to continue that on a consistent basis, maybe do longer sessions, incorporate different types of yoga, and kind of take it from there, but... I guess the the key point is also not only just doing the yoga, but doing it with red light therapy. So I think, again, doing that in the morning, because morning seems to be a key time for red light therapy just based on our, our cells and, and how the mitochondria respond to light, kind of simulating that sunrise with that red and infrared light. So getting 30 minutes of that low level exposure, because of course with the matrix, that's a much lower light irradiance than a panel. So get an exposure to that for 30 minutes as you're moving around on the mat doing different poses and postures and and whatnot. So I, th- I think in 30 minutes of that consistently can only do some good things for the mitochondria and for the body. So as those of you in the audience who are starting to receive your matrix orders, that's something I would advocate for is testing it out with some, some stretching or some yoga on a consistent basis and see what you notice. See if you feel some increased energy and flexibility and just vibrance or feeling some extra vitality by doing that on a consistent basis. But regardless, let's fall back into the world of photobiomodulation research. Because of course, on solo sods that's what we're going to be doing for a while here. And so the first piece of research I want to talk about came out only a handful of months ago in August of 2022. And it's entitled... Application of fibrin associated with photobiomodulation as a promising strategy to improve regeneration in tissue engineering. A systematic review. And so they go on to say, This systematic review aimed to analyze published research on the association of photobiomodulation therapy through the use of LLLT, which is low-level laser therapy, or LED, which is light-emitting diode, with fibrin scaffolds. The focus was on its use in tissue regeneration, mainly fibrin, in the form of PRF and fibrin sealants, whether through uh, glues or adhesives, in order to verify the possible benefits of photobiomodulation in three-dimensional fibrin scaffolds. And due to its characteristics and properties, fibrin has been used in several areas, one of which is tissue regeneration in medical and dental procedures. And so, in order to improve the tissue repair process, studies in the area of regenerative science seek the association of different therapies to accelerate and improve morphological recomposition and faster functional recovery. So, among these conjunctions, light-based therapies, such as the use of low-power lasers and LEDs, have expanded their use in clinical and preclinical practices. The laser consists of a pure and well-defined color, while the LED can display different shades of colors at once. Therefore, the laser is a monochromatic light, and the LED is a polychromatic light, being able to present all of the shades of a specific color. Currently called photobiomodulation, it consists of the application of light, whether it's laser or LED, with therapeutic effects for tissue modulation, whether it's activation or inhibition. It has important potentialities such as angiogenesis and neovascularization, increase in collagen production, increase in muscle regeneration and decrease in its atrophy, it favors nerve regeneration, increases cartilage production, and decreases inflammation, edema, and pain. So the use of the combined therapies that involve the use of fibrin-associated photobiomodulation therapy has shown to be a promising strategy to favor the regeneration of injured tissues with better quality and less time. When fibrin is applied to the lesion site, it forms a bioactive matrix in the microenvironment that exerts a hemostatic effect, in addition to favoring interactions between cells and biomolecules. These effects added to those of photobiomodulation constitute a supporting therapy that acts by stimulating cell activity, angiogenesis, and the synthesis of collagen in biomolecules. So in this review... Among preclinical studies, the most researched association of fibrin and photobiomodulation was the use of fibrin sealants in bone or nerve injuries. All experimental protocols concluded that the association is effective, promoting a more effective repair of lesions in a shorter period of time and with effectiveness that can reinforce the indication of its use. In peripheral nerves, photobiomodulation therapy accelerated morphological and functional nerve repair. In bone tissue, photobiomodulation allowed for an improvement in the formation of a new bone with a more organized deposition of collagen fibers in the defect area. And in osteonecrosis of the jaw, photobiomodulation may effectively contribute to management of the healing process. So in this way... We can see that few studies use the association fibrin and photobiomodulation, but given the good results, the technique is promising with the potential to collaborate in tissue repair. The difficulty in comparing the different types of photobiomodulation can be considered a limitation due to the different protocols reported in the experiments. Therefore, protocols with favorable results are generally standardized and reused by the same researchers in an attempt to reduce this limitation. And so the conclusions of this article are that in the findings of the study, it can be shown that photobimodulation contributed to improved tissue regeneration that used fibrin composites as scaffolds, constituting an important adjuvant therapy that acts by stimulating activity, angiogenesis, osteoblastic activation or bone formation activation, axonal growth of the nerves, anti-inflammatory and anti-edema action, increased collagen synthesis and its maturation, as well as biomolecules more studies should be carried out in order to seek standardization in photobiomodulation protocols in the same way that new fibrin concentrates will be developed with the same objective of recovering injured organs and tissues. And so that's the end of the article review, more or less. But regardless, pretty exciting stuff. And again, this is less than four months old that this article has been released to the public But to see red light therapy, to see photobiomodulation being integrated into applications such as fibrin for the use of, of healing and wound healing or tissue regeneration, what have you, the research and the scientists and health professionals are recognizing that red light therapy, albeit extremely safe and extremely effective, has a role to play with accelerating the healing process, not just for the sake of being quicker, but also more effective and more efficacious. So I thought this article, again, while it echoes a lot of the information and a lot of the mechanisms that we already know about with red light therapy, the fact that it's being utilized in these relatively innovative areas that we haven't really seen red light therapy used in before, again, is very exciting. And I think you know, As I've said before, we're going to see more and more of these novel avenues, whether it's these different biotech areas, these novel or niche health and regeneration and alternative forms of medicine, red light therapy is going to have a place because it's so easy, it's so effective, it's so safe, and there's relatively limitless ways it can be utilized, again, not just on its own, but integrated into the healing process. I'll harken back, I think it was to an article I talked about last year, but using gold nanoparticles along with red light therapy to promote and accelerate wound healing. So you could use red light therapy on its own. You could use gold nanoparticles on their own to accelerate the healing process of a wound. But using them together, you get that synergistic response. You get the most effective, the most efficacious response by using them together. So same thing here when using fibrin, you you can use the fibrin alone and you're going to get the healing you're probably looking for. But again, integrate that red light therapy, integrate the proper dosage of red and or near infrared light. And again, you're going to see that synergistic response, a more effective, more efficacious result, not only faster healing, but decreased infection rates, decreasing that inflammation to promote that healing process. So all very exciting stuff coming from this article. And then moving along to the second article of this episode. And I found this one extremely, extremely interesting. And I think you will too, because it applies to every single one of us. It's entitled, The Effect of Photobiomodulation on the Brain During Wakefulness and Sleep. Alright guys, as I promised, I am going to be offering you guys an exclusive 15% discount for the pre-sale order of The Matrix. Uh, like I spoke about earlier, this is a groundbreaking, innovative, patent-pending piece of technology from BioLite. It is literally a full-body red light therapy mat. You heard that right, a mat. It's a quarter of an inch thick. You can roll it up like a yoga mat. It has over 2,100 LEDs and like all Bio light products, you have the option of choosing red and near-infrared light combo, red light only, or near-infrared light only. The dimensions are 69 inches by 34 inches. So you can either lay on it full body, cover it on top of your body like a blanket, roll up a section of your body, let's say your abdomen or one of your legs or one of your arms or a third or half of your body at once, roll yourself up like a bean burrito and literally give yourself a 360 degree red light therapy treatment. And more or less, you can think of this mat, the matrix as the next phase of red light therapy. Cause right now everyone has panels and there's a Time and place for that, but I think now is the time for innovation and moving the needle forward on red light therapy technology. This red light therapy mat, the matrix. Roll it up, you can sit on it, you can stand on it, you can lay on it, you can roll yourself up. It's extremely versatile, it's easy to take on the go, so you're not just bound to hanging it up on a door or a wall. It's very easy to take on the go. Put it in the corner of your room so it takes up minimal room in your house. The options are endless. Really, you guys, my loyal podcast audience, I'm gonna offer you guys a 50. 15% discount through presale, which will be through the majority of October. So for the next three or four weeks from the recording of this podcast, you can get 15% and the discount code is simply podcast. So go to biolight.shop, check out The Matrix. If you want this exclusive 15% discount, simply use coupon code podcast at checkout to receive that discount. And I know you guys are gonna absolutely love this game-changing product, The Matrix. And this is another one relatively hot off the press from July 28th of this year, 2022. And so again, dealing with the brain, and they're looking at how can photobiomodulation affect us during wakefulness, which is how we currently use red light therapy, whether it's a device or the sun, but then also how can photobiomodulation affect our brain during sleep? So this is a very, very interesting article, so we're going to go quite in depth into this one. So let's begin with the introduction. They go on to say that the brain has two very distinct global states of activity, wakefulness and sleep. It becomes quite a different functional organ in either state. In the state of wakefulness, the brain is in a conscious mode, being receptive to and interactive with the environment. It is occupied with orchestrating executive function that is attention, perception, cognition, memory, and skilled movements. In the state of sleep, the brain is in an unconscious but arousable mode and is far less receptive to the environment. In this state, the brain assumes a housekeeping function, disposing of all the metabolic debris and waste products that have accumulated during the day before they reach toxic levels. This fluid-mediated detoxification is under circadian control. So, of course, imagine what happens when your circadian rhythm is disrupted. Moving on, although not stated explicitly in the bulk of these previous studies, many, if not all, of the photobiomodulation treatments were undertaken during daylight hours when the experimental animals or human subjects were in a state of wakefulness. There are, however, recent indications that photobiomodulation, when applied during the state of sleep, has a somewhat different effect, that during this state, photobiomodulation stimulates the housekeeping function of the brain by improving the clearance of fluid-filled waste products and debris from the brain and into the lymphatic system. In the review that follows, we will explore what is known currently of the impact of photobiomodulation on the brain in the state of wakefulness and in the state of sleep. We will then offer the speculation that photobiomodulation may have a different effect on brain function depending on what state it is in, whether wakefulness or sleep, that it may follow a circadian rhythm. Finally, We will consider the key issue of why photobiomodulation has an impact on brain function in the first place and speculate further that biophotons, the ultra-weak endogenous light emitted by cells, may form the key link between the two distinct arousal-dependent effects of photobiomodulation. So moving on to the first section here, it's entitled, Photobiomodulation Influences Functional Activity. They say that most, if not all, of the reports that have examined the functional activity of neurons in the brain after application of photobiomodulation have been from an external transcranial device. The light issued from such devices has been shown by previous studies to penetrate, at the very least as far as the cerebral cortex, approximately 10 to 15 millimeters beneath the cranial surface. Indeed, transcranial photobiomodulation to normal, healthy humans, both young and older, has been reported to improve high-level cognitive functions in terms of reaction times or performance to a range of learning and memory retrieval tasks. The effect of photobiomodulation on brain activity has been shown to be due to metabolic influence through the activation of cytochrome oxidase c and an increase of hemoglobin oxygenation rather than a thermal effect. The next section, photobiomodulation induces neuroprotection. Photobiomodulation has been shown not only to influence the functional activity of neurons across the brain, but also to improve their survival against damage or disease. Such improvements, referred to commonly as disease modifying or neuroprotective outcomes, have been reported in a range of animal models of disease or trauma, including retinal disease, traumatic brain and optic nerve injury, experimentally induced stroke, familial amyotrophic lateral sclerosis, or ALS, multiple sclerosis, MS, aging, Parkinson's disease, and Alzheimer's disease. So looking at mechanisms of photobiomodulation, both direct and indirect stimulations. The precise mechanisms used by photobiomodulation to achieve these beneficial outcomes, both functional and neuroprotective, are not entirely clear, but two main ones have been suggested, namely direct and indirect stimulation. For direct stimulation, photobiomodulation has to fall directly on the neurons. The light is absorbed by photoacceptors found among the mitochondria, for example the cytochrome C oxidase, or elsewhere such as the transient potential receptor ion channels and or various types of opsins, within the neurons that then generates more energy that drive intrinsic neuronal functions. In addition to these short-term energy gains, photobiomodulation also induces a more long-term cellular change by activating the expression of various functional and protective genes. In particular, photobiomodulation prompts the expression of growth factors, for example, glial-derived neurotrophic factor and brain-derived neurotrophic factor, both of which have been shown to increase the survival of neurons. In essence, photobiomodulation makes the neurons healthier by not only making them function better, but also making them more resistant to disease and distress. It should be noted that this type of stimulation has been shown to influence both the functional activity of neurons as well as offer neuroprotection. Photobiomodulation not only has a direct neuroprotective effect on diseased or distressed neurons, but it also has an impact on hypertrophy and proliferation of the resident glial cells and inflammation. Previous studies have shown that photobiomodulation reduces gliosis and or inflammation in animal models of Alzheimer's and Parkinson's disease, multiple sclerosis, aging, and traumatic brain injury. It is not clear if the photobiomodulation-induced reduction in gliosis and or inflammation is due to a direct action on the glial cells or is secondary to the survival of the neurons, although there are reports of a direct photobiomodulation stimulation of primary astrocytes in culture. It should be noted that photobiomodulation has also been shown to have a direct effect on the vascular system. There is evidence that photobiomodulation offsets the degeneration and leakage of retinal capillaries in animal models of diabetes and in the striatum and brainstem of a mouse model of Parkinson's disease. Further, photobiomodulation has been reported to induce the release of nitric oxide from cells which triggers the vasodilation of nearby blood vessels, increasing blood and lymphatic flow. In addition to direct stimulation, photobiomodulation has been shown quite remarkably to be beneficial to neuronal survival even when it is applied to a distant or remote location, that is, when it is not applied directly to the neurons. The evidence for this indirect stimulation has been accumulated from many previous studies in a range of animal models of disease, from diabetes to Alzheimer's and Parkinson's disease, showing that photobiomodulation applied to one body part can induce neuroprotective effects in another, more distant body part. For this effect, photobiomodulation is thought to activate circulating immune and or stem cells or even free-floating mitochondria within the cardiovascular or lymphatic system that then leads to an overall increase in mitochondrial activity in a similar fashion to that direct stimulation described above in the distressed neurons located in the brain. The precise mechanism used by the circulatory cells and or molecules to achieve these beneficial outcomes in neurons are far from clear, however. Although this type of indirect photobiomodulation stimulation has been shown to be neuroprotective, it is not known if it can induce a functional change in the activity of neurons within the brain as does the direct stimulation. So in summary, both direct and indirect types of photobiomodulation stimulation have been reported to be neuroprotective when applied in the state of wakefulness in a range of animal models of disease. When comparing the two, at least in an animal model of Parkinson's disease, the direct stimulation is far more effective than the indirect, resulting in a larger magnitude of neuroprotection. It has been suggested that the direct stimulation forms the primary mechanism of photobiomodulation-induced neuroprotection, while the indirect stimulation forms an added-up backup protection. So that was a mouthful, but needless to say, they're finding both ways where you can directly or indirectly Stimulate some neuroprotective effects, especially in the neurons more so than the brain. But that, of course, direct stimulation is going to be more effective than indirect stimulation. So, of course, if you have a choice, direct stimulation to the brain is going to be most effective. But let's move on to the next section here, which is entitled photobiomodulation and sleep. So, photobiomodulation in the state of wakefulness has been much studied whereas the impact of photobiomodulation on brain function during the state of sleep has received little attention. In the section that follows, we will discuss what is known of the effect of photobiomodulation on the sleeping brain followed by the potential mechanisms involved. First, we will consider the primary function associated with sleep and the recently discovered system that is involved in carrying out this function. And so the next section is called the glymphatic system, the housekeeper of the sleeping brain. And it goes on to say, Although the precise function of sleep is not clear, and it has been suggested recently to be the critical period of the 24-hour cycle when the brain replenishes its resident fluid and clears all of its cellular debris and waste products before they become toxic, that sleep is when the brain assumes a housekeeping function a function that it cannot undertake readily during wakefulness when it is fully occupied with orchestrating all the complex neural networks associated with executive functions, namely cognition, attention, memory, and skilled movements. The brain undertakes its housekeeping duties in a rather unique way. Unlike all other organs, the brain does not have distinct lymphatic vessels and nodes to clear fluid and waste products into the venous system. Rather, the brain relies on a series of perivascular spaces and astrocytic glial cells to clear its fluid and wastes. Cerebral spinal fluid flows into perivascular spaces around the arteries and then into the interstitial spaces within the brain via water channels, such as aquaporin-4, in astrocytic end-feet. This process then drives the drainage of excess fluid and waste within the interstitial space out and into perivascular spaces around the veins, disposing ultimately through lymphatic vessels through the meninges in the brain and then down into the venous system. So the activity of the glymphatic system is much greater in the state of sleep than in wakefulness. Its activity has been shown to be correlated tightly with changes in brain waveforms in the different arousal states. It increases with the onset and predominance of delta and gamma waves, characteristic of slow wave, non-rapid eye movement, and reduces with the onset and predominance of alpha and beta waves, characteristic of wakefulness and rapid eye movement sleep. So, if individuals are deprived of quality sleep, and the brain does not clear its waste effectively, then many negative consequences may develop. For example, individuals become less attentive, have slower cognitive function and memory, recall, and or have problems with motor functions. Executive function and emotional regulation are diminished, and it does not improve the older we get. So those over 60 years tend to have shorter and lighter sleep patterns interrupted often by multiple awakenings. Consistent with these observations, there are many reports of an age-related decline in glymphatic activity both in cerebral spinal fluid flow and clearance. When periods of poor quality sleep become chronic, there is an increased risk of developing serious neurological conditions including depression or Alzheimer's disease. In Alzheimer's disease, for example, there are many reports that the activity of the glymphatic system is very much reduced, such as in mouse models of the disease, there is a reduced glymphatic influx resulting in less clearance of the beta amyloid. And of course, beta amyloid plaque is associated or characteristic of Alzheimer's disease. And so the next section here is photobiomodulation influence on the sleeping brain and the housekeeper. So, they go on to say that no previous study has examined the effect of photobiomodulation on brain waveforms during sleep. There have, however, been recent indications that photobiomodulation does, in fact, impact the clearance of fluid and toxic waste more effectively during sleep than wakefulness. Transcranial photobiomodulation has been shown to improve the clearance of experimentally introduced substances such as gold, nanorods, and dextrin, into the cerebral spinal fluid. In addition, photobiomodulation reduces beta amyloid accumulation and the cognitive loss of Alzheimer's-induced mice more effectively during sleep than during wakefulness. It also stimulates the overall flow of cerebral spinal fluid through the brain as well as prompting the breakup of beta amyloid aggregations. When applied to normal mice at night, photobiomodulation promotes a faster clearance of beta amyloid from the ventricular system of the brain than when it is applied during the day. Finally, photobiomodulation has been shown to stimulate the clearance of fluid from the meningeal lymphatic vessels. These vessels are considered crucial in the final clearance of beta amyloid from the brain. Moving on to the next section here, photobiomodulation-induced mechanisms during sleep. They go on to say that the precise mechanisms used by photobiomodulation to stimulate the activity of the glymphatic system, that is to improve the fluid clearance and disposal of waste products from the brain, are far from clear. Previous authors have shown that photobiomodulation prompts the breakdown of various protein aggregations within the brain and stimulates a nitric oxide-induced vasodilation, at least outside the brain within the lymphatic vessels of the meninges, and these are likely to contribute to the improved fluid and waste clearance from the brain. Many other mechanisms, as yet unknown, are, however, likely to be at play also particular within the glymphatic system. And the next section here, a speculation, there is an arousal-dependent effect on photobiomodulation. So they go on to say that, taking all of these findings together, we suggest that photobiomodulation has different cellular effects depending on the state of arousal when it is applied that it may follow a circadian rhythm. During wakefulness, photobiomodulation could have a dual primary effect of first, stimulating neuronal function, activating mitochondrial activity and gene expression, and influencing the different waveforms patterns across the brain. And second, improving neuronal survival, providing effective neural protection against distress and disease. During sleep, however, photobiomodulation may be less effective in stimulating neuronal function and survival, but be more effective in stimulating the clearance of fluid and waste from the brain. It may do so by increasing the activity of the glymphatic system. The mechanism that underpins this glymphatic stimulation is not known, but we suggest that photobiomodulation may may work primarily to increase the permeability of the aquaporin-4 water channels of the astrocytes, thereby helping to increase the flow of fluid through the brain. This suggestion requires experimental validation by future studies, however. A couple of researchers suggest that the fluid clearance of the brain is promoted further by photobiomodulation-induced vasodilation of the meningeal Lymphatic vessels, and this mechanism may help the process also. Further, photobiomodulation may also affect the composition of cerebrospinal fluid by changing the structure of water molecules, making the cerebrospinal fluid more free flowing. In addition, the flow of cerebrospinal fluid may be influenced by the cilia lining in the ventral parts of the third ventricle, which are considered to be under circadian control photobiomodulation may have a considerable influence on this system as well. Our suggestion of an arousal-dependent effect of photobiomodulation is not consistent with the recent findings that photobiomodulation influences cell function differently depending on the time of day when it is applied, that photobiomodulation-induced cellular effects follow circadian rhythms. In a Drosophila model, photobiomodulation has been reported to increase mitochondrial function and ATP levels more effectively in the mornings compared to afternoons or at night. There are also indications of a similar pattern in humans that photobiomodulation improves visual function more effectively when applied in the mornings compared to later in the day, uh, such as in the afternoons. Hence, it appears that as the day proceeds from morning to night, the effect of photobiomodulation on mitochondrial function becomes less. As suggested above, the photobiomodulation impact may uh, impact on other cellular structures such as the water channels on astrocytes may become stronger during the shift from day to night. The speculation outlined above that there's an arousal-dependent effect of photobiomodulation on different cell types and systems in the brain relates to direct stimulation. But what about indirect systemic stimulation? Does photobiomodulation have a different effect on cellulatory cells and or molecules in the different states of arousal that it could also follow a circadian rhythm? It may be the case, for example, that photobiomodulation has less of an effect on the recently discovered free-floating plasma mitochondria during sleep than during wakefulness. Further, For the immune system, photobiomodulation during wakefulness may promote the prevalence of anti inflammatory cytokines, while during sleep, it may enhance defense mechanisms against infection and inflammation with the production of pro inflammatory cytokines. These key issues for indirect photobiomodulation stimulation during different arousal states remain to be determined. So, in conclusion, In most studies reporting on the cellular and clinical effects of photobiomodulation, the treatment has been applied during the state of wakefulness. These studies have shown that photobiomodulation improves neuronal function and survival in the brain after stimulating mitochondrial activity in neurons as well as activating a range of stimulatory and protective pathways. They also show improvements in clinical signs and or symptoms in a range of disorders, from Alzheimer's to Parkinson's disease and from depression to traumatic brain injuries. Many fewer studies have examined the effect of photobiomodulation delivered during sleep. These few studies have nevertheless shown a somewhat different effect on brain function. In this state, Photobiomodulation appears to be more effective in improving the flow of cerebrospinal fluid and clearance of waste from the brain. We speculate that the overall effects of photobiomodulation on the brain are arousal dependent, shifting from different cells and systems as wakefulness becomes sleep, that it may follow a circadian rhythm. We speculate further that the different arousal dependent effects of photobiomodulation are mediated principally through the biophoton, ultra-weak light emission network of communication and repair across the brain. If our speculations are correct, then this shift in beneficial effects induced by photobiomodulation, dependent on the state of arousal, have considerable experimental and therapeutic implications. Our speculations on the effects of photobiomodulation on the glymphatic system, in particular its impact on the activity of aquaporin 4 water channels, as well as the biophoton network, await experimental validation by future studies. And so that is that article. That is a lot to take in. I, I can certainly understand. But again, that that only came out five months ago. And so there's really a lot. To take into consideration, it may be worth listening to that a couple of times. What I get from it is that, as we've discovered in the past handful of solo sodes with this research, timing of red light therapy or timing of the photobiomodulation treatments is becoming very imperative depending on what you're treating. So for those not familiar with the glymphatic system, of course, it's most active during sleep. The, the glymphatic system gets rid of that cellular debris and the garbage and the toxins that build up throughout the day. So again, if you get poor sleep, if you have a circadian mismatch, if you're continuously jet-legged, if you work perpetual night shifts, or if you're, like you're, you're a night shift worker, your body is set up to fail, predicated on a poorly working glymphatic system. Because just like the lymphatic system carries debris and toxins throughout the body below the, below the head, the Glymphatic system does the same thing for the brain because the brain doesn't have a lymph system, so to speak, so if your glymphatic system isn't working properly, the garbage and toxins get built up in your brain, and that's how we see these things like major depressive disorder alzheimer's parkinson's, multiple sclerosis, so on and so forth a l s some massive implications and and what they're saying of course, is that the effect on the glymphatic system or the effect on improving this restorative process during night that we get during sleep you don't get that by doing photobiomodulation during the day you would in effect have to do these treatments during your restful time of the day so when you're sleeping so whether you're using some type of a panel with a timer or like some sort of cap or helmet which i'm that wouldn't be fun to sleep in but again if this research or if this the speculation is true because they admit that a lot of this is speculation based on a small amount of evidence it's not like there's been tons of research done on this specific area but if these researchers are correct then devices to be utilized during night on your brain to enhance that glymphatic system to enhance the health and restorative process of your brain has massive implications and like they alluded to in the, uh, in the conclusion and kind of during the discussion portion, there's a lot of research already pointing towards timing, such as for eye health, for sleep, and of course for this restorative process in the brain now. Of course, if you want to use it during the day to improve mitochondrial health, improve anti-inflammatory properties, stuff like that, you use it during the day. But during the night is when we want to use it And of course, it has to be near-infrared, which is nice because that's invisible. It's not that bright red light. So you'd be using that near-infrared on the brain to augment sleep, to augment the glymphatic system, to augment your brain health. So that's an article I'm going to look over again, going to read over again, because the information there is powerful and the implications are massive for every single one of us. Whether you consider yourself healthy, whether you're in that phase of quote-unquote aging where you're concerned about brain health or you're tatering on the edge of let's say dementia or alzheimer's and stuff like that knowing this information or wielding it appropriately you can start using near-infrared on your brain right now you don't have to wait for specific protocols or specific research to say yay or nay we already know near-infrared light is very beneficial for the brain when used in the correct dosages and now with this piece of research or with this review on the research, this is what has to be teased out. How do you use that near-infrared light while you sleep? Because again, you need to have some sort of timing mechanism on a device that's targeting your brain. So again, like these guys alluded to, more research needs to come out to further define and prove their speculations. But then if true, start to begin and build some protocols and some ways that we can be utilizing this Near infrared light to our advantage to optimize our lymphatic system and our brain health and our overall health. So, uh, lots of exciting stuff in that article, guys. I hope you liked it. I, I know it was a lot to take in, probably. But again, if need be, please listen to that a time or two to really absorb the impact and the implications of that information. But for this episode, we're, we're going to call that a day those two articles. Again, one looking at red light therapy in combination with fibrin for healing tissues and and organs and then of course that second article we went into depth that looked at photobiomodulation both during wakefulness but more importantly during sleep and its impact there so i hope you guys enjoyed this episode i hope you found it useful as always i appreciate every single one of you supporting and listening to my podcast if you haven't already please leave a quick five-star review on either apple podcast or spotify that way more people can easily find this podcast and learn about the wonderful health and wellness benefits of red light therapy, just like you have. But like I said before, guys, hope you have an amazing week here. We're getting closer and closer to the holiday season. So fun shopping, stay safe, but as always, get your red light in, get your sunshine in, and as always, light up your health. You guys have an amazing week. Thank you for listening to the Red Light Report. If you like what you heard today, go ahead and leave us a review on iTunes and other podcast platforms to help spread the word so other people can learn about the many health, wellness, and longevity benefits of red light therapy. If you're looking for more educational content, check out our Instagram page at biolight.shop and our YouTube channel, Biolite. I'm Dr. Mike Belkowski, and I'll see you on the next episode.